Good morning, Grace Chapel. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. As Dave mentioned, my name is Tom Boy Claire, and I get to be the campus pastor in Foxborough. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to welcome all of you that are watching online today, and i um, glad that you're by the beach or the lake. Um, yeah, we wish we were with you. No, we don't. We wish we were in church, don't we? We're glad we're here this morning, aren't we? Uh, yeah, I love this. I don't, get this. I don't get this in Foxborough too much. This is incredible. Hey, I just want to also recommend how awesome it is, or say how awesome it is to be one church in five locations. Um, it is such a privilege to, I don't know if you realize how great it is, as um, I've just gotten to know more of the different campus pastors and more of you individually from time to time. Um, it is just great. I grew up in Attleboro, and I knew of Grace Chapel, um, but now I get to be on staff here, and I've gotten to experience it from a totally different perspective. And um, it is just as good from the inside as it is from the outside. And I'm just grateful to be here. Um, This morning, we're on week three of a series called Life Punctuated. And if you remember week one, uh, Tom Van Antwerp from Wilmington discussed the parentheses. And in the parentheses, he said that in our times of uncertainty, it is often a great season for God to speak to us and to shape us. Last week, Pastor Brian in week two discussed the exclamation point, right? And in that exclamation point, he talked about how important it is to feel things deeply and that it is often in those moments where God shows up. So today we're going to turn our attention to the question mark. (laughs) I love the question mark. There are so many different types of questions that we can ask. There are yes and no questions. There are open and closed questions. There are questions that can heal And there are questions that can put people in their place. But the content of a question is one thing. What we're going to talk about today is the posture of a great question asker. And part of that posture is this idea of curiosity. So today we're going to look deeper into the impact of curiosity and what it means to be courageously curious. A posture of curiosity, this way of asking questions, I believe will make you better at life and also make your relationships better. Just to get us all on the same page this morning, let's say we have a friend and that friend goes to the movies and we see that friend the next day after they saw the movie and we ask them, hey, how was the movie? Did you go? And they say, yeah, it was good. That's one question. But we can ask a more engaging question that says, hey, tell me, who was your favorite character in the movie? Or what did you think about the special effects? You see the difference in those two questions? One is just, I'm just asking to ask. I don't really care about your time at the movies. In fact, I wish I was with you. The other one is engaging the person, engaging how they felt and how they saw the movie. It's taking it to another level. There's a different type of posture. A posture of curiosity will make our lives and our relationships better. The way we relate to our parents, to our bosses, to our coworkers, to our teachers, to our spouses, to our children. This posture holds the opportunity for stronger, more life-giving relationships. How do we define curiosity? What is curiosity defined? Well, curiosity defined is an eagerness or an eager to learn or know 
inquisitive. It's the idea of going on a quest, if you will. A quality related to inquisitive thinking, such as exploration, investigation, and learning. When I started out in ministry, I had always wanted to go to a church and be in a church for a long time. And by long time, I was thinking 15, 20 years, one spot, develop a good base, right? After seminary and after six years being in a church, I realized that that was not going to be the case. Disappointed, I began asking God, what's next? I knew it was ministry. I knew it was probably in church, but I didn't know where and I didn't know what was next. I spent over a year looking for my next opportunity, anticipating a direction and answer, but God was clearly saying, wait. One opportunity that came to the forefront was um, this church in, in Georgia called North Point Community Church, where Andy Stanley's a pastor. I saw the opportunity and I was immediately curious. I'm like, wow, wouldn't it be great to work in a church like that? Wouldn't it be awesome to be a part of a, a church with a, a great vision and mission? And, and I didn't know they had a great vision and mission until I started to study it up and learn and read more about who Andy was and what the church actually did. And I only became more and more curious. The vision, the mission, the model were simple and intriguing. But I thought to myself, yeah, it'll probably never happen. I doubted it. Feeling that God was still saying, wait, I didn't pursue it any further. And unbeknownst to me, I had a seminary friend call me and say, hey, he had been praying for me and he, he knew I was kind of down. And he said, hey, what do you think about going to India and Nepal with me? And being in a season of curiosity, I was like, hmm, I don't think if I was in this season that I ever would have said yes or even thought about potentially going to India or Nepal. But he invited me and I stopped and I said, you know what? Let me ask my wife first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that was a wise move on my behalf because at home at the time, um, I had an eight-month-old and a two-year-old. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're gonna go leave me with those two? Mm-hmm. But as we discussed and as we prayed about it, she said, you know, this would be the best thing for you. A change of scenery, an opportunity to understand and see a new culture, a chance to be with a good friend. You, you need to go. And so I went on this trip and it was a great trip. God gave me fresh perspective about him, his identity, the image that we are cre all are created in, humanity as a whole. My love for people changed. God grew a deeper love for people in me. I returned from my trip and immediately had a, a meeting with my senior pastor, and he already knew that um, I was thinking about moving and, and moving on, so he just came out and said, hey, when are you leaving? I mean, he was curious. He, he wanted to move on, and I, I got that, and we're still great friends to this day, and it was in that moment that I heard God say, you're ready. It's time, and so I went right back to the only thing I was curious about before, and that was this opportunity at North Point. And it was still on the ministry list that I saw over four months ago. And this time there was a phone number associated with it. So, so I immediately said, wow, what good fortune. I called it and we talked with, talked with them. And before you know it, I was going down there for an interview. And after running the gauntlet of interviews, um, they, they invited me to be a part of their staff. So I immediately called Amy and said, hey, what do you think about moving to Georgia? And our lives were totally changed. 
She said, yeah. 18 months of that holding pattern prepared us for a big move a thousand miles south because we grew up right here. I wish I had the time to tell you all of the great things that God showed me, taught me, and enabled me to learn. And I'm curious, even more still, how much I would have missed out on if I hadn't investigated that opportunity. I'm a better pastor, I'm a better father, I'm a better husband because of the things that God has taught me, not even just about church ministry, just about life and moving. The wonder of curiosity will always be unknown until we ask the right question, usually a tough question, a question that might make, take some time for God to answer. A well-punctuated life is marked by a posture of curiosity. I want to introduce you to someone who models great curiosity. This often overlooked woman, not even an honorable mention, not even a footnote in history, certainly mistreated, certainly scorned, looked down upon by her own people. She proves her own shame by coming to the well at noontime to draw water, hoping to avoid people, hoping to avoid shame. She's not even given a name here. You might know her as the woman from Sychar. She is better known as the woman at the well. The world may look at her as a zero, but the grace of Jesus makes her a hero. We find her early on in the Gospel of John. If you remember, John was one of the 12 disciples that was closest to Jesus. And so far in the Jesus timeline, Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist, called his disciples, cleared the temple in holy disgust, and turned water into wine. You could say that Jesus knew how to keep the party going. We get to chapter four of John. They have just left Jerusalem. The disciples are on their way to Galilee when they come to the town of Samaria called Sychar and we pick it up there in verse six. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus was parched by the sun, the travel, and the dust of the road, and he asks for a drink. Interesting. Jesus now did not have to engage culturally. If you remember biblical history, and if you don't know, Samaritans and Jews didn't talk to each other. They avoided each other like the plague. They wanted nothing to do with one another. And so Jesus is here engaging this woman, asking her, will you give me a drink? The woman too, she could have turned on her heels and just walked away. And that would have been culturally accepted. But that's not what happens. Curiosity gets the better of her. She simply asks, how can you ask me for a drink? Have you ever been in a place where you're in a large gathering and maybe there was this great speaker there and he gave his talk and at the end of the talk, there was a Q&A time, right? And people were asking questions left and right, but you, you just sat there 
You sat there because you, you, you had a great question, but you didn't have the courage to ask it. How many of you have been in that spot? Come on, come on, admit it, admit it. I'm in the same boat. Thank you for admitting it. We're all human. And there's that part in us that we're afraid to ask. And that's what this woman, this woman at the well, that's what she had to overcome. She had to overcome that fear of maybe not sounding smart or the fear of sounding dumb or the fear of asking the worst question or the wrong question. She fights through the cultural and spiritual thoughts of the day in order to ask her question. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you've nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? The woman, now curious, responds to Jesus politely, right? Sir, almost before Jesus can finish his sentence, sir, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? You have to wonder if she's starting to catch on to whether or not there's something special about Jesus. To her, these are legitimate questions. The text continues in verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Wow, interesting posture. Sir, Give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She is even more curious. She wants to know about something she doesn't fully understand. She wants something she doesn't fully understand. Hmm. I was wondering, where in life do we want something we don't fully understand? Isn't that what faith is all about? Wanting and being curious about God? A God we can't see and don't fully understand? Isn't that what we say when we sign up for a new class or a new semester at school? We have no idea how it's going to turn out. But we show up on day one like a good student to see how that class is going to go, see if we like the teacher, to see if we make any friends. Isn't that what we say when we go to work for the first day of a new job? (laughs) Will they like me? (laughs) Will I like them? Is this job a good fit? Isn't that what we say when we start dating someone? Are they even potential marrying? Potential? Or maybe it's when we get married and we make those vows, a promise to walk through life with you, not knowing what's going to happen, but saying, I want to be curious with you as we do life together. So if curiosity is what gets us started, why does it seem to wane over time? That seems like a logical question, right? Even more important is what are the curiosity killers in our lives? 
What are the things that come in and steal and keep us from remaining curious? Because if those are all the things that I just mentioned, if they're all true, then what stops us from remaining curious in those relationships, in our new job, in our classes, in our marriages? Some of those curiosity killers are when we are assumptive or indifferent, passive, or display a sense of superiority like, I already know everything there is to know about you. What more could there be to know about you? Now, you would never come out and say that. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many times you might have thought that. But in our spirits, we're often in that place. We think we might know our spouse or our friend as well as we could possibly know them, that there's nothing left to know about them. But let's pause on that for a minute. Let's take our understanding of faith. Let's say that you've been a believer for 20 years and you, 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 you love Jesus. I bet when you first came to understand who God was, your understanding was here, right? But as you grew in your understanding of who God was, it maybe moved up over here. And over time, you were more curious about who God was. You interacted with him more. Some things happened in your life. You got more curious about whether or not he could meet those needs. He answered prayer. He spoke to you, changed your perspective, helped you to see things differently. Your faith grew even more and you had a different understanding. Our understanding of God is continually going to grow and change. And I believe, similarly, same with our friends, same with our spouses, same with those we know, same with you. We're all growing people. You are not the same person you were 5, 10, or 15 years ago. There is a lot more of you to know about than there was even four years ago. Therefore, there's a lot more to be curious about. Unfortunately, curiosity killers can come in and steal our curiosity. The phrase familiarity breeds contempt, maybe you've heard that before, is when we assume we know the whole person so well that we no longer kindly challenge them. In some instances, this can become a self-fulfilling prophecy and we just say, ah, that's Tom. He's always just gonna be Tom. There's no room for him to grow. He can't change. And maybe we begin to own it like a label. Maybe it's a badge. In my opinion, a lack of curiosity for each other is a major reason for why marriages fail. People just don't fall out of love. They stop being curious. They stop asking questions about and for each other. They allow themselves to drift into one or more of these curiosity-killing ways. On the flip side, what are some curiosity amplifiers? Those are some good things to talk about, right? That's the negative side. But how can we fight for curiosity, right? Well, anticipation, a faithfulness, a sense of expectation, encouragement, a posture of, I don't know, but I sure am looking forward to finding out. I can't wait to get to understand more about you as we grow together. There's an anticipation. There's an excitement about what may be discovered. Let's turn back to the woman at the well. She embodies curiosity in three directions. First, of God. 
Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Second, she embodies curiosity for herself. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Basically, what she's saying is, where can I get it for me? And third, for others. Later in verse 29 of this same chapter, chapter four, she goes back to the town. Now the well is outside the town, so she goes back into the town and she says, come, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Wait for it. Could this be the Messiah? She's still curious as she goes back to the townspeople and she wants them to be curious with her. Could this be the Messiah? She's curious for others. So much so that in verse 42, we read this. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So here's the deal. If you find yourself starting to be too familiar, overly assumptive or indifferent, let me say that one more time. If you find yourself feeling too familiar, overly assumptive, or indifferent, allow that to be a cue for you that maybe you're no longer being curious and that you need to start being curious for yourself, of God, and for others. Here are three ways you can be curious, similar to the woman at the well. Be curious about God. As I told you a moment ago, your understanding of him five years ago or five months ago is different than it is today. That's something to grow in. Scripture tells us that we are going to spend eternity getting to know God. Why not get started now? Being curious for God looks like asking him questions. What do I know God to be like? Where might my view of God need to change or grow? Is my God too small? This woman had all the social and spiritual reasons for remaining silent and invisible, and yet she dared to ask hard questions. Questions that she had to move through those social and spiritual barriers to ask. We would do well to do the same. God is not afraid of your doubts. He's not afraid of your uncertainty. He wants to meet you right where you are. And he wants you to be curious. He wants you to follow those doubts, follow that uncertainty. Ask him about it. A second way to be curious is to be curious about what God might have for you or who God says you are. How do I be more curious about what God might want me to do in this season? Is there a place I need to grow is there a perspective that needs to change? Do I need to see my life or my world differently? And if so, how? I had a good friend who helped me drill down on my own identity. Um, and I've been a believer since I was five years old. I mean, honestly, I was scared into the kingdom. Uh, I didn't want to be on the bus going to hell. That's exactly how it was worded to me at VBS. Um, I'm serious. I'm not kidding. And, and so for not wanting to be on the bus going to hell, I was scared right into the kingdom. Now, is that where my faith is today? No. But my friend would say this to me. He said to me, you 
are a holy, righteous, redeemed child of God. And it is a pleasure for me to know you. Gulp. Like, yeah, I know that. I know that up here. I think I believe it in here. But I don't know if I do it out here. I don't know if I actually live that out in my day to day. Do I actually believe the words, it's a pleasure for you to know me? I'm certainly not that confident and cocky enough to say it, that's for sure. But the reality of it is, if Christ's spirit is in me, that is true. That is a very true statement. It's what makes us winsome. It what makes us part of who he is. And hopefully it's what makes us to continue to be curious about others. So we can be curious of God. We can be curious for ourselves. We can also be curious for others. And as part of our vision and part of our mission of discovering life with God for the good of the world and then finding your go, this is one of the best ways to be curious for others. What does that look like? It means asking them good questions. It means asking them questions with a posture of, I don't know how this is going to end for you, but I'm willing to walk with you through it. It's in a sense, kind of coming around someone and and putting your arm around them and saying, I am for you. And I think this is going to be hard, but I am with you. And I'm gonna help you ask some good questions. Questions like, how are you feeling about going to college? getting married, changing jobs. Questions like, you wouldn't say it this way, but do you think that's the right person for you? Or more so, hey, what makes that person the right person for you? See the difference in the posture? You can say it with an accusatory tone, or you can say it with a tone that says, hey, I want, I'm wondering, you know, if, if you thought about how that person is different than other people. Start a conversation. Start a conversation to be curious for others. Why is it so important? Why is it so important to be courageously curious? I believe when a person is curious, they're approachable. A curious person has an air of humility about them simply because they don't have it all figured out. Curious people are freed up from being presumptuous, judgmental, or even harsh because they know there is a lot they don't know. Curious people get that there's always more perspective to have. Curious people don't have expectations of others. Curious curiosity, courageous curiosity is a game changer when it comes to personal growth, race relations, political party differences, and yes, even baseball. Now, could we have picked four more opposed things than those four? Personal growth, we don't often ask questions about that unless we know someone really well. Race relations, I mean, that's a hot topic. Political preferences, especially last November, would we even begin to talk about it with each other? And baseball, I mean, after all, Pastor Brian's not a Red Sox fan. (laughs) We don't talk about that a whole lot, do we? But here's the idea behind this. When you and I are willing to engage people who hold different perspectives than we do, maybe one's a Republican and one's a Democrat, and you start asking them questions for why they are a Democrat or why they are a Republican, and you see specifically their thought process and their rationale, 
and you understand it for them, that's a game changer. When they know that you are for them in the way that you're asking, you have a relationship at the end of the day. It's not just about this, this, and that. It's about, huh, we can still be for each other because now I understand more specifically where you're coming from. God wants us to be curious about all of life with him and wait expectantly for him to answer and show up. Two years ago, um, still, I was still at North Point and a college friend of mine who actually was uh, a campus pastor at the big, big North Point Community Church. It's, it's the big campus. It's, uh, we used to call it the hub or the mothership, if you will. And um, he was the campus pastor there. And all of a sudden, he, he said, you know, it's, it's time for me to move on. It's time for me to move on to something else. And when he did it, just did something to me. It sent me on this quest of questioning. North Point had done so much good for me. It gave me a boatload of confidence. It gave me a boatload of ministry experience. Taught me more things. Like again, I said earlier, I wish I could share with you all the lessons I learned. And as I remember and reflected on those lessons and I reflected on my friend leaving to go to another church, I was wondering if God had somewhere else for me, some other place where he could maximize the skills that he had given to me and influence he had given me in the kingdom of God. Where could I be better used, basically, was what I was asking. I started that prayer almost two years ago. And the only thing that happened in approximately 18 months was that God had given me a greater and greater desire to return to New England and be a part of what God was doing here. I don't know if you know it, but God is up to some amazing stuff around here. There are a lot of great things happening, even here at Grace Chapel, which is wonderful. But the landscape is changing. The spiritual landscape of this area is changing. And that was exciting to me. And being a part of this area, I wanted to come back. But I didn't think I wanted to come back that badly. My wife wanted to come back always because she was really close to her family. My family's much older. My parents have both passed on, so I didn't have those connections. So for me to say that God was growing in me a desire to return to New England was a big deal. That was the only thing that was happening. So I felt, okay, God, I started processing this. I started reaching out to contacts, trying to network, have conversations with people that were in churches and different ministries here in New England. Did that for about six months. Had some really great conversations, but it got to be Thanksgiving of last year. And all of those conversations had just dried up. Nothing was happening. And I was pretty darn depressed. I thought God was moving us on, but I couldn't see the way forward. So I just went to God and I said, God, I don't know what's next, but I know you do. I trust you and I know you'll show me in your time. And it was almost as if he said, it's about time. <laughs> in, in a sense, almost saying, why are you been carrying that bag of rocks around? I didn't ask you to own that. I'll take care of moving what needs to be moved to get you to where you need to be. So after we had that conversation, I returned to the website that I had looked at and I saw this posting for a campus pastor at Grace Chapel, Foxborough. And I'd been away for almost 10 years. I was like, Grace Chapel, Foxborough? They're only in Lexington. What are they doing in Foxborough? <laughs> Honestly, I, I was totally, I'm like, that must be a misprint. And so thinking it was a misprint, I just started diving in, trying to figure out what was going on. Well, in the time that I had been away, this, this church had gotten some things done. 
they had four campuses already and we're moving to start a fifth. And I was like, wow, I had no idea. And I knew of Grace Chapel before. And I was like, God, could you be leading me to potentially be on staff at Grace Chapel? So immediately I just filled out the application, sent my resume, got a phone call, started having conversations in the early weeks of December. And by the second week of January, I had been offered and accepted to campus pastor role at Grace Chapel Foxborough. Yeah. If I wasn't curious, none of that would have happened. If I wasn't curious of all the things that I got to experience in the last 10 years at North Point, none of that would have happened. I am here today grateful because of how curious God has made me and how curious I hope that you will be in your relationships with him and with each other. The last seven months have been an amazing ride and the spirit of Ephesians 3.10 has been immeasurably more than I could ever asked or thought. I am looking forward to continuing to see what's next. I hate to think that I would have missed it and I'm certainly glad to be here Remember, a well-punctuated life is marked by curiosity that is willing to ask tough questions. Tough questions of God. Tough questions of you. Tough questions of others. A well-punctuated life is courageously curious. For those of you that are making it a point to try out journaling over the summer, I can't encourage you enough. I don't know if you journal or not, but let me just say this. Journaling is not something you have to do daily, okay? You don't have to be um, Doogie Hauser and end every show with a journal entry. Some of you, that just got lost on half of you. <laughs> I understand that. Google that old TV show. Just trust me, it's there. But here's what happens with journaling. You don't have to journal every single day. Part of the way I like to journal is just to understand the themes of my life as they happen to me. And I like to just make sure I have them written down so I can look back on them, so I can praise God for them, so I can thank him for them. But one of the things you could do as you're journaling or wanted to give journaling a try was to just ask, hey, where was I curious today? Just think back over the course of the last day, last 24 hours, where was I curious? Maybe you could add another question would be, where do I wish I had been more curious today? Did I miss an opportunity to be curious of God for myself or for others? And then maybe a last question is, where can I help to be more curious for others? Why should we be curious? Because a well-punctuated life is marked by courageous curiosity that's willing to ask tough questions. I want to close in prayer at this time with um, a prayer from St. Anselm. I think it captures well the nature of curiosity at a soul level. Will you bow your hearts and your, your heads and please close your eyes and just think about these words as we end this time. Oh my God, teach my heart where and how to see you, where and how to find you. You are my God and you are my all. And I have never seen you. You have made me and remade me. You have bestowed on me all the good things I possess. Still, I don't know you. 
I have not yet done that for which I was made. Teach me to seek you. I cannot seek you unless you teach me or find you unless you show yourself to me. Let me seek you in my desire. Let me desire you in my seeking. Let me find you by loving you. And let me love you when I find you. May it be so with us. Amen.